Kia ora uh, Before we start today's episode with Bana Paeho from Rua Science, I wanted to share something I wrote down was, as I was planning the conversation or kind of wrapping my mind around what it was that I wanted to discuss with him. And it came out like this. Hikurangi seeks to bring back what has been lost, taken, twisted and broken hope. It is Mount Hikurangi that watches over and protects Ruatoria. It is Natipuru that stand by the mount and carry this message of hope. Ruabaya science is the shape this message of hope has taken. This is something that I wrote down while I was thinking about the image I have of this beautiful project and after sharing this with you I welcome you to listen to the conversation. Hello, we're here today with Panapai Hau from Rua Bioscience, um, coming from Rua Toria. We're going to talk about uh, a few issues that have come to my mind after having a lot of conversations around the web with a lot of beautiful people and uh, finding out that some of these issues are also uh, a concern of his. So mainly we're going to talk about Rua Bioscience, um, where it comes from, what the process has been, what his personal history uh, leading to being part of this uh, initiative has been and what it means going forward. So without further ado, over to you, Panapa. Just um, if you would like to share with us a bit of your personal history and how you came to be part of Hikurangi Cannabis Company originally and Rua Bioscience today. Mm, well, kia ora koutou, um, tēnā koe bro. Uh, you said the Hikarangi Cannabis Company, which has now gone through a name change to Rua Bioscience. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, it was born out of uh, a number of us back home in Rua Toria that uh, got together to look at economic development um, or sustainable economic development that increased the well-being of the land and the people. Um, so that was back in 2015. We threw a whole lot of mud against the wall um, about what, how we could, how we could utilize our land better, or utilize our land in a way for sustainable economic development that increased the well-being of the land rather than detracting from it. Um, most of our economy up the up, up the coast is out of forestry and. Uh, farming or hard-hooved animals and both those have negative effects on the land so and, and they're primary industry so it's high volume low value uh, and we we wanted to look at alternatives for that um, so that we'd have uh, high value low volume uh, essentially selling knowledge rather than um, uh, commodity products we, we looked at a whole lot of things and within the Hakarangi group there's a number of entities and we're doing we're looking at uh, kanuka or extracts from kanuka extracts from kinna, um, some native fungi, uh, and setting up some uh, some commercialization around that. that. Those have those intricacies within themselves, but in doing those, we were able to take, find, create a pipeline that took something from its natural form right through to a medicinal play, which is where, where that, that's high, high value, or uh, pharmaceuticals slash nutraceuticals. Uh, and then, then, then hemp came along. Um, you know, we were looking at a lot of things and 
uh, a whānau from down in Gisborne. Uh, they, through a mutual friend, uh, we had a cup of tea and they said, have you looked at hemp? Um, so there's a difference between hemp and cannabis. Um, hemp is what's classified having low, uh, below 0.35% THC in New Zealand and anything above that is, is um, considered uh, marijuana. So cannabis is the plant variety, hemp is just a, is a classification of it. Uh, and so we, we've got a very good growing conditions in the Tairawhiti, a lot of families, um, less so now um, because of the pea epidemic, but a lot of families grow to um, provide sustenance for their families, not, not to be um, millionaires or um, drive Harley Davidsons, but really just to put food on, food on the table and um, shoes on the kids' feet. Uh, and so we had this skill base within, within uh, or around home and we wanted to create the opportunity for Fano to engage in, a, in, in an industry that on the global scene was, um, you know, there's a bit of a green rush going on. So we planted hemp, we had no idea there was what we were going to do, there was essentially three ways of making money out of cannabis. That's awesome. All right. So I'll just I'll, I'll just continue after. <laughs> All right, <laughs> and that goes. And you can just cut that bit out. I guess you can call that a number two. I always love that, like knowing where the water goes through the pipes. <laughs> it's kind of relaxing. Um, yeah. So within cannabis, there's three there's three um, places to make to make money out of it. One's through fibre, one's through food, and one's through medicines. Um, when we had a look, the highest value was in the medicinal space, and we already had this pipeline set up from looking at these native organisms, um, and we had a look at the global market. So we planted some seed in December, and over the three months we did some intensive market research and decided that we'd go down the rabbit hole of having a look at um, medicinal cannabis. We didn't... Um, we didn't know what that journey would look like. Um, within New Zealand, it was an industry where the door was still closed, but there was a slight shining through a gap that didn't really exist. It was kind of like the light that comes un underneath the door. Mm -hmm. um, and we've been very much since then pushing our nose has been right at the like the leading or the bleeding tip of the industry. There's been a couple of other companies around there, but we've you know we've been really pole positioned there um, as as one of those um, companies at, at the start. Since then, there's been, you know, that's, that was two, just over two years ago. Um, the cannabis industry is, it's kind of like it's in dog years. So one year in every other industry is like seven in, in, can, in the cannabis industry. Um, and we've, you know, we're positioned as one of the leading companies in New Zealand now um, to take, to go into commercial production of cannabis, which is, uh, licenses will be issued uh, beginning of next year or February next year. So when we started, there was no industry. It wasn't legal. There was no legislation. There was no regulation. Um, it was all kind of a bit of a dream. Mm. Um, but we could see the writing was on the wall. Legislation passed last year, and we've got regula regulations that come into effect this year. So, yeah, we're on we're on track to be um, to take advantage of those regulative legislative changes um, for not just the benefit of ourselves, but our other stakeholders for our community and. Um, people wider, wider afield around the country and um, New Zealand, uh, around the world as well. All right. That's a great introduction. Um, so many good questions come out of that. Uh, that's, that's one thing I love about this format. 
just not having an interview, it's just having a conversation. Um, but I'll kind of stick to the script and I'll, I'll ask you like at a personal level, what has the experience of going through this process with uh, Hikurangi Enterprises and Hikurangi Cannabis Company and then Rural Bioscience been like? Um, how have you, like what has changed for you during these uh, over two years? What have been some of the challenges, successes and failures? Some of them become obvious when you, you know, put it like you've just put it um, because it was basically a leap of faith, mm. uh, a very well informed and thought through leap of faith. But at the same time, if you hadn't had that, you know, certainty that you were going to either make it work or or, you know, not die in the attempt, but, you know, just put all your energy in it. So what have been what has the process been like at a personal level? Yeah, so, you know, if my partner was here, she'd be looking at me in a certain way. You know, it's for both, uh, not just my, uh, like for Manu and myself, who were the founders of of the cannabis space, um, but there's others who have come into that mix as well. It's been it's been super intense. It's like any kind of entrepreneurial activity that you have to pour so much into it to start with, and that takes that has a toll on on your family. Um, the amount of time that we haven't been able to spend with our, our family. Um, you know, I've got four kids, eight, five, three, and one. So that's, you know, there's, it's been, been super challenging in that space. Um, but, you know, some of the challenges early on were about getting, the, um, about getting the community on board and what that looked like because there was that stigma around drugs are bad um, that a lot of people carry. But when, it, when we were able to put a bit of a plan in place and go, and go through with it and and get the support of the community for the opportunity that exists and it hasn't been brought into fruition yet but that that was really humbling and an example was when we went out and um, did the crowdfund uh, raise last year in May last year and you broke the internet yeah we broke <laughs> the internet a couple of days in a row um, that was that was really humbling, and you know we spent five days traveling down the coast from Tiaroa to Gisborne, giving the locals the first opportunity, and that was a big part of what we wanted to do. Was we looked across the globe, and it was just uh, essentially rich white men getting in and creaming it, um, and pumping and dumping and making all this value and cashing out, and we we wanted to make sure that the people who had the least opportunity had the first opportunity to do that. So. And that was extremely, extremely humbling. You know, like statistically, we live in one of the poorest areas in, in the country. Um, but when you look at the what our people are able to give when it comes to monarchy and things like that, you know, it's the, it's the other end of the spectrum. But yeah, that was that was that was super humbling. Um, I guess within the industry itself, like when we started out, medicinal cannabis wasn't even a thing in New Zealand, and we've had to walk alongside uh, the regulators. Ministry of Health to be able to navigate this this industry and to start with, you know, Manu and I would go down to Wellington and sit outside the Ministry of Health waiting for the officials to come through because they wouldn't respond to our emails or our phone calls. Um, wow. But now we've been through a whole process and now we have solid relationships. You know, um, but we were really, I guess that was a dedication that we had. It was like whatever we need to get through because it wasn't just about us. It was a lot of stake. Yeah, yes, and and much wider than than us being successful. You know, 
we own we out of all the cannabis companies in New Zealand, the founders, we Manu and I would own the least out of anybody, any company because it wasn't about us creating a whole lot of money for our back pocket. It was the, the wider scope of that. So um, yeah, so that that, that was another um, challenge. Um, one of the analogies we use is that we're building the plane as we're flying. We're building the plane behind us. So this hasn't been done before in New Zealand. It's been done in other jurisdictions, but it's very different here. So, um, and that's the same for every company that's in, in this industry or starting in any industry that hasn't existed before, um, especially one that's come out of prohibition. That even in the globe, it's a very young industry. Is is when you look at. Um, making profits out of on a, on a capitalistic market it's been illicit for forever or well not forever for the last yeah. decade or so before that oh, sorry century before that you know um, it was the mainstay of um of a lot of industries around hemp and cannabis so yeah yeah some, some people say that china built their empire the original chinese empire was built around hemp yeah and some of we know that some of the fuel behind the British Empire was hemp as well and same in the United States and well I guess that's part of the importance of history eh? yeah it was like when James Cook came out he came out looking for hemp because uh, upper Europe had been cut off because of the wars and so the because sails ropes were all made out of hemp so he was actually on a discovery to go and find alternative sources of hemp around the world um, when he came here so yeah but that whole prohibition thing and that was all political for people making money of why I got why it went to prohibition so the whole that it's come out of prohibition and only recently in the last couple of decades there's a whole lot of opportunities that sit there not just for financial but for actually you know, in the injustice space of those who have protected or grown for the last 60 70 years that have had all the most highly negative ramifications so if you look at Māori in New Zealand, and this is reflected across all indigenous um, peoples across the world where there's been prohibition, is that indigenous peoples are about four times more likely to be charged or incarcerated for the same uh, activities as non-indigenous. So we have in New Zealand about half the prison population is Māori and half of those there for cannabis. And you're four times likely to go to prison because of cannabis. So, you know, and the Ministry of Justice, who's doing the legalising of uh, doing the, they're carrying the, putting together the legislation and regulation framework for legalising cannabis. They have that lens on: is how do we make sure that, that those that were most negatively affected have the most opportunities to succeed, rather than just opening up to the general public, which is which is great to hear. So that's something that's effectively in the legislative body's mind. Yeah, as much as that sounds contradictory. Oh, that's really good to hear, because um, that will be a first in in the global kind of picture. No one else has had that in mind as they were first legalizing medicinal cannabis, let alone recreational. And that was one of the biggest concerns and, and kind of complaints in Canada mm -hmm. as, as legalization rolled out last year was, where is the indigenous people in this? Because they did not... They, 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 they were not invited to the table at all and they, even today they've been persecuted because they have their own rules around that in their own territories and mm. the government like the central government does not want that happening 
Um, yeah, it's really interesting in those in those territories where uh, their bands have had their own mana motuhake over their own areas. They're actually a lot more. They're quite advanced in the cannabis space because it's not something new to them. Mm. Like, I think it's been like forty years that the first the first crack in the door was one one band taking over the deaths and mar- uh, deaths and births recording from the government. So the government handed over something that was the um, what do you call it? Was the uh, first instance where the government gave that responsibility to them. And so once that door was open, they've been able to do it and create into a whole lot of things. So it's been 40 years of development and it took 10 years for it to come into reality where they actually started looking after their own municipal, municipal systems, their own tax, all that kind of stuff. So, and more and more are coming on. So it's, you know, in that way, it's really revolutionary and they're able to do stuff and they've got advantages over non-Indigenous peoples. Like they, can, they don't get bogged down by uh, the legislative stuff because they just make up their own. But... Yeah, that has intricacies within so itself. True democracy. Yeah, well, you've still got the leadership that exists within that, so you're never going to please please anyone. But yeah, I think there's a lot of lessons that can be learned for indigenous peoples around the world from that the model that they've that they've created. No, that's something that, like, coming from a space uh, like from extinction rebellion side of things, that's something that we want to achieve in the in the next six years. Is so I don't know if you know about the demands like the for me in as an individual that likes extinction rebellion and feels associated to them um, the first demand is honor the treaty right and that's something that's being worked at as a fourth demand but that should be the first because of what we discussed before like the, the alarm has been ringing for 250 years um, but the third demand is go beyond politics and it's basically means take the politics back to what it actually means, which is the thing of the people. Politics is is what the people decide for themselves, and it, it was done in an open forum, and it was done in a in an open, clear way. It was not done behind walls. It was not done in a closed room. It was done before everybody's eyes and ears. Mm. Um, so there's another good thing that we ha- we can learn from indigenous peoples and and, and their their struggles and their fight and their victories. Wow, that's a good thing to learn. That's um, something I did not expect to learn today. Um, so that could be a good segue to talk about um, social justice in this space. Um, I think that was something I wanted to kind of keep for the end of the conversation, but this this is going great. Um, so in some jurisdictions that have already legalized cannabis medicinally and recreationally um, they are now after the fact after a long time of having that legislation and put in place and 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 being at work just now they're talking about um, expungement of these past sentences and like the real justice as to was this ever really a crime was there ever a real reason to put people behind bars or to just say that you actually got off easy and that you only had like a put it on your record but it still ruins your chances of getting a, a high paying job or even accessing higher education or uh well just there's so many ramifications from that um do you think or do you 
yeah, do you think there's any, any possibility that we could have that expungement from the get-go here in New Zealand? Uh, that's definitely been a, um, you know, the, the Ministry of Justice, which is going through the recreational legislative um, uh, piece of work. They've gone around the country, have doing a lot of, um, or doing some community engagement, and that's been at, from what we understand, that's been at most of their, been suggested to them from most of their um, workshops that they've done. And a big part of that is, you know, like you said, like, it reduces your job opportunities. You can't travel to some countries in the world. Um, it really does, and it really does have negative, like some strong negative um, connotations. Like, you know, examples of, uh, you know, uh, middle class white people being at university, getting busted growing plants in their in their university flat, um, and being like being let off because it's got ramifications on your future well it's no different from the bro who um, didn't go to university just has done a taken another pathway in life gets busted with a couple of plants which are either get used medicinally or for personal use or for a little bit of extra cash to come in um, but can no longer get maybe there's a ceiling for what they can do within their jobs or they can't travel to different parts of the world or, or that kind of stuff and it's really um, and because of the injustice of that it's been racially discriminative it's you know, in my personal view it, you know, expungement should be should happen straight away but that's a big um, gap for politicians to jump because remember it's a political decision it it's is. not a it's not a social socially equitable decision because if it was just that then that would happen but you know, you've got politicians who will do stuff like and generally in opposition doesn't matter which government it is will do stuff just because it's what the opposition need to do so yes. we're kind of but I think that'll again it'll happen over time um, especially when you know most of that skill base around cannabis exists within those that have those convictions and New Zealand Inc has been identified as from some global experts. Like we're, we're working with some people who are at the top echelon within the world, um, and mainly because of the, the, the fundamentals or the values that we hold. Um, they're like, New Zealand has the opportunity to be a, a knowledge base for cannabis breeding in the world. It can really be a <coughs> quite a special place. And who holds all those genetics? All the growers that have been in and out of the system all the time, eh? Yeah. Uh, and another thing is um, the that deep, beautiful relationship that, like, I don't know about all cannabis growers, but there's uh, there's a relationship between Tangata Fenwa and Fenwa, and a lot of the growers that have been experience in these uh, in this existent industry because the industry exists already there's a lot of there's a work base there's a you know there's a skill base mm. we we have a capital in that industry in the form of uh say land money crops and also that the genetics that you you, you talk about that is all capital that is present within new zealand but is not being acknowledged because it's not a legal industry per se so um not taking all of this beautiful relationship into account and, and, and saying like i mentioned tangata fenwa because 
a lot of, of the Maori population is the ones that have been involved in growing cannabis and involved in, in the fight in the front line. <laughs> that beautiful relationship is, as the way I see it, is a strong part of that, the reason why Aotearoa New Zealand should be, or is, objectively speaking, on that advantageous position to tackle the global market. Yeah, I think one of the big things around New Zealand's advantage position is that we do have, we've got a really good reputation for being honest here, like there's not very much corruption, well not open corruption like in many parts of the world, so we're trusted, we've got a really good horticulture base, and our government, because we're not being one of the first uh, jurisdictions to do cannabis, is that we've learnt, we're learning a hell of a lot from other jurisdictions, so um, while we won't get it perfect, well, the legislation and regulations that we put through for medicinal and when regulate or when legal cannabis does come through for rec we're going to be world leading and so we've got these opportunities to to leapfrog so many other jurisdictions just because we've learned from their lessons so an example is that in Canada there was a very short window of when you could bring in wild strains but in New Zealand it's going to be open yep so it's not going to be a two-week thing where those who had the money could literally get in and buy people out and you know um and then lock those genetics up, it's, yeah, we've got a, a really good opportunity. One of the things that, Tinga was speaking about Tangas of Whenua and the, the access to resource that they have is that, and I know that this is, that we, we talked about, oh, so this isn't some one of the things we're gonna discuss, but the methamphetamine has had a massive impact on the cannabis industry, where you've got people who have grown forever, or grown for a long time, and for whatever reason, whether drug testing came into workplaces, like forestry's been massive, um, where uh, or where you can, if you you can have a joint on Friday night and go to work on Monday and fail a drug test, you can do that for up to six weeks. But you can go and jump on the crap pipe and go to work on Monday, or have a pipe the night before and go on Monday and be clean. So those industries where most of that drug testing occurs is mostly Maori who exist in there. And so people still want their fix and it's pushed them away from cannabis and into, into, into meth. Now you've also got, because it's, it's, it's risky growing cannabis because you've got to look after it for three to four months. Plus, well, no, six months. It's mm. six to nine months. Yep. Because it's a full crop, you've got to grow your, you know, you've got to do your genetics, you've got to grow it, you've got to harvest it, you've got to hold on to it, you've got to sell it. Where... Uh, methamphetamine is a real short time frame for a whole lot more return and so we're seeing some some of the growers some of the growers that have been around for decades they reckon that there's potentially up to 70% of growers have disappeared and with them a lot of the genetics have gone because they have turned to the they've turned to methamphetamine um, either the pipes got them and they just aren't able to concentrate on doing what they used to do or they've gone and made money in there so why would they go back into cannabis and so we've lost some of that amazing genetics and some of that knowledge. Shit. And now, so what that does is that the supply decre decreases, and now meth is way cheaper than cannabis. Yeah, like if you're trying to score any weed in Gisborne, everybody knows that they're trading weed for pee, uh, that the supply is, is just not there as it used to be. Uh, you get shit weed. You get um, your teenies from a teeny house are just like tiny. They should be called tinies now. Um, and and you like there's this uncertainty 
and uh, I'm really glad I'm doing Sober October <laughs> because there's this uncertainty when you buy cannabis from a teeny house that are, are you gonna get yours laced with meth yeah. you know and I, I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure because I've, I've dealt with substance abuse in the past if that were to happen to me I could have the self-control of mm. just fucking letting it all go and and, and and having another sober October November December whatever it takes but um, that's not just that's not a risk anyone should take this yeah. and it's just not for the growers it's not just for the industry is for um, the patients and, and uh, most of the people I know in Gisborne that consume cannabis do it because they have PTSD they have fuck so many so many things that they have they have to deal with and they need to calm down so what you were saying before about them having to come over to meth because it's just more profitable because it's just easier to get because uh, I don't know anyone from the upper echelons and gangs but I don't know maybe that's just the the new thing that gangs are trying to push because it's more profitable or for whatever reason uh, you're not gonna get the same result if you get your fix from meth as if you get your fix because it's an actual possible potential fix from cannabis mm, yeah. um, they're two different things completely absolutely like, like you can get some varieties of cannabis that will make you keep like get really energetic concentrated and and hyped so you go for you know decker or green crack or what which i hate that name uh or any of those but you're still gonna get a natural molecule inside your bloodstream that binds to your cannabinoid system that then will in any way or other be therapeutical even if you're abusing it you're not killing yourself mm. uh, but with meth you don't get any of the good stuff with the bad and it's yeah. just i think one of the things that with the reduction in um the reduction in supply is that people can only get what they can get and so a lot of the growers that are anti-meth you know what they want to be able to do is supply and, and you've got different like in any industry you've got different levels of people who can grow you've got i don't like using the word but you've got expert growers that can grow consistently and they'll, they'll have a they'll, they'll have a customer base where you know, they might have 30 customers and they grow specifically for them so there might be strains that are specific, specifically good for an ailment that sits within one whanau and they'll grow for them so they can have a consistent supply all year round for <clears throat> for their medicinal needs whatever it is and there's a range of them but then you know because it's illegal that person gets busted or whatever happens then those other people just have to go and get whatever they can and you go to a tinny house and it can be laced or it's just inferior product so by legalizing that's one of the pros for legalizing is that it can be you've got consistent supply but it can also be regulated so you everybody knows what's in it, it gets tested just like any other, anything else so yeah there's there's so many things for it there's, there's obviously negative aspects of um of leg, of legalization that well, of, of cannabis itself, like young people shouldn't, majority of young people shouldn't smoke it because of brain development, but yeah. it's been shown in other jurisdictions around the world that when you educate it and it's open, less people, less of the people abuse it. Well, it happened to me. When I first came across cannabis, it was through a girlfriend and I didn't, like the first time I smoked it, I never felt, I didn't feel a thing. 
but then I, 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 if I wanted to ever consume cannabis safely, I should have done it with her. But then I went to, I would know, I wouldn't know what it, what the English word for it is. Uh, is one of those um, really run. It's not even a neighborhood. It was a street in Bogota that was explicitly and exclusively dedicated to drug trafficking at a, a, a microtransaction level. Mm. So for less than one dollar, I got, I, I would say, almost half an ounce of weed. Shit weed. Mm. And that's something that I used to eat with uh, with a sweet before going to sleep. Um, with sometimes that a friend of mine came over and was like he was obsessed about uh, eating it with me. So every time, so it was it was a from the get go it was not a um, a healthy use for me. I didn't want to use it because I didn't need it, but I do I did have a problem of using alcohol. So after I started using cannabis, I stopped drinking alcohol and that for some of my friends that was not right because they were like oh I'm, he's not drinking with us anymore and all of this but uh, not being able to talk to my parents about it not being able to talk to my friends about it not being able to talk to my teachers uh, or anyone in my support ne network was what brought me to an abuse position and it was not even like because when I when I think back and I, I am very aware of the quantities I was using and I and I now go and hang out with people here that use cannabis and they mix it with tobacco and that does not get you high get it gets you drunk um, I know that my abuse was on a different level it was mm. it was a, a it was a, a matter of uh, emotional kind of instability and all of that but I can know that today after coming back to cannabis and making it a conscious decision because I first before ever taking that first hit of a joint that we got from a friend here in New Zealand I went online and I looked at all of the potential harms and all of the potential medi medicinal applications and all of all, all of that could what could come out of my coming back to cannabis and then I talked to my wife, now wife, it, she wasn't my wife back then, and I told her, look, you know my history, you know I have a history with alcohol abuse, and I had a history with cannabis abuse, or what I, what I saw as cannabis abuse, and I told her, I wanna do this, and I wanna do it with your consent and with your support, because I feel that it could help because all of th these things I've been reading online about how I can help with depression, ex anxiety, PTSD, how it can just help me relax, how it can uh, help me. I was working in hospitality for three and a half years with my, my chronic pain because my back was fucked, it's still fucked. Um, all of these things, but I did it from a, it was an educated decision. Mm -hmm. And that was because I knew of the harms beforehand. So if, if we don't have that available for children, which is what specifically Paula Bennett has been peddling. Oh, no, 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 think of the children. Think of the children and let them know all that we need to know mm -hmm. before we make that decision. If I had known how to consume cannabis safely when I was actually started smoking cannabis when I was 18, so it wasn't that, I know people that have been smoking cannabis here since they were 12. 
13. And maybe that's not the right age to make that decision. Um, but at 18 years old, I was able to make that decision because I know who I am and I know how, who I was back then. And maybe I wouldn't have chosen to do it. But since I n we never discussed anything mm. about cannabis in my, in my school or in my circle, other than it's bad for you, this is how it smells like, this is what it looks like, you should avoid it, talk to the police about it, then I started medicating myself without any external help. And when I looked for help, what they did was telling me, oh, that's wrong, you need rehab. Instead of saying, maybe you're doing it for a reason, maybe you're self-medicating without you know, help from the outside, and maybe if you talk to a psychologist, because it was actually a psychologist, the first person that ever recommended cannabis to me was a psychologist, if I had listened to him, instead of, because my first reaction was, um, this guy's crazy, I should not come back here, I, nev I never went back to him. Um, maybe it would have been a different story, but maybe I wouldn't know what I know about cannabis and their harms today, and I wouldn't be talking to you today. Mm. So I think that there's, a very good argument for putting all of this information that you and I and, and a lot of people that are really know what the good and bad of cannabis is, if we put that out to the general public, yeah. there's a lot of benefit to be gained from it. And that a little bit of harm could come from making it legal if we don't focus on that education, if we don't focus on the wellness and the mental health that can come behind. Yeah, I think that there's, that there's there's a lot more benefit that will come out from it being legalised and kept kept um, illegal. Uh, within New Zealand, there's um, two really good publications. Um, the first one's uh, a document put out by the New Zealand Drug Foundation, um, and then there's another one following on from it, which really extends to where the um, the bits that that document missed. And so that was around legislation for recreational. Um, and that's choice, C-H-O-I-S-E. Um, I'm pretty sure that if you Google it in New Zealand, that, that'll come up. And it's a really good, and it's about educating people because people can only make informed decisions when they're educated. Um, and both those documents are really good for laying down the pros and cons and the, and, and the reasons why we wouldn't and wouldn't do um, uh, go down the, the legal the legalization for for adult use now within rural bioscience as we know now like it's very very specifically around medicinal cannabis um we come although we've come from a a background of wanting to create jobs and opportunities for our whanau back on the coast um and there's a lot of stuff that we're learning that can be utilized by the community to go into the rec space or the the adult use space when and it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when it opens up, because it, it'll happen at some stage. It's just whether it happens next year or the following years, because it'll take a couple of years to get stuff into play, um, or it happens 10 years later. Um, but yeah, the rule of bioscience is very specific. It's picked a path around really high, like a, a specific niche. It's like any business, you have to find a niche that's defendable, um, but we want one that has a maximum ability to have positive impact around and within our community and around the globe. But there's a lot of lessons that have been learnt in there that we can share with our, with the, within the community to help the Alfano set up for that because it's not, like I said, it's not a matter of if, it's just when it happens. 
and for whatever legislation gets put in place and the associated regulations aren't going to be perfect but they're going to be better than what most jurisdictions have had around the world so um, you know when I got into that when we got into the cannabis space I specifically remember making the decision to go down this pathway and it looked like a turn off to a, a gravel road that was going to be long and windy but it was definitely going to be a long journey didn't know what that would look like so we had no idea back then but um, you know even now it's Personally, when you look, what does the future look like? You know, this this by nature of where we are within the market, it'll you know it'll be significant in my time on around on this planet for a while, just because of the people that we're connecting to. We're connecting to amazing people around the world who don't aren't just doing it for profit. And most of the people who are climbing in are doing it for profit or their own ego. So if it's like you said, Paula Bennett. You know, there was the Q&A thing last night and uh, just, yeah, yeah, just kind of eager. Like I just saw it this, this afternoon. I was, uh, yeah. I was having lunch and looking at that and, and I, I always hate those short-lived debates because if you, if you can have a conversation like we are today or I, like I can carry on for a whole afternoon, mm. um, we can get to an understanding if we have 22 minutes, which was the duration of the video, there is a chance that you can might, you might get some ideas across and you might, you know, kind of have a look at what the other people means and what the other people thinks, uh, but you won't come to that commonplace that is the ultimate goal of having a conversation. Yeah. Um, and um, I think she's, Paula Bennett specifically, she's, she's actually, been educated a bit by taking part of those ed ed conversations because you can see her face when she's like oh i didn't know that like how i never thought of it this way and how am i gonna you know counter that because she like she's a great politician i'm if you if you if you can say that with a straight face um she's a great politician that's her job to always come out come up with an answer it's not to listen she plays the game well yeah so she's a good player of that I wouldn't say chess because chess is, is is about playing yourself and the opponent, but it, it's all about keeping up a face. And this is this is your your persona that you're presenting, and you you want to stick to that at least on the surface level. But like if you were really playing close paying close attention to how the conversation went, she contradicted herself at least three times without the shadow of a doubt. So, um, I guess Chloe really kind of, she's, she's, she's gotten used to dealing with her by now and she just let her uh, have her bit and what she tries is just to do that informed mm. kind of opinion kind of bit and just getting that information out there because that is in, in large part what you achieve by being on one of those shows. You can inform the public if yeah. you're coming from the part of you want to reduce, if you really want to reduce harm, you go in there and you tell the public the truth. Yeah. Uh, if you, if you're going at it from an ego place and a politic political kind of uh, mindset, you go in and then you show you show your best face and you 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 try to come up on top. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm I'm really glad that we are not on that kind of yeah. space at this moment. Um, 
So before we wrap up, because I know the time is running short, there's, as a medicinal patient that has not gone through any of the loops that the current medicinal scheme looks like, and I have, I've just gone through the illegal part of it um, because I have self-medicated in the past, but this time around I did it with the support of a psychologist and a psychiatrist that basically their role was to keep like check, check me before I wreck myself. Check myself, yeah. So what what happened was I, I came to them and I told them, look, I'm taking this medication. I've been taking it for 10 years now and it doesn't work. And I know it doesn't work because I still get depressed and I still have suicidal thoughts and I still feel like I'm trapped and all of these things. So I'm gonna start using cannabis and I want you to tell me if there's any sign of abuse, come to me and tell me, dude, you have to stop. And I did that with a psychologist who had no idea of how cannabis interacted with the other medication that I was taking. And I um, came to this to a psychiatrist who was part of the same team who had some idea about the possible interaction between the drug I was taking for bipolar disorder and cannabis. And she told me, you have to be careful. And this is what we like, this is our, these are the kind of fail safes that we're going to use and, and all of this. But so that's how it happened for me because I've always made my own choices and I have never relied on the system to tell me if, if this is something safe to do or not safe to do because they still allow the sale of tobacco and alcohol mm -hmm. and, and they, they think caffeine is not a drug. So, um, and all of these other things. So from a patient's per perspective, how is rural bioscience going to be a, um, an ally or how is rural bioscience being an, al an ally right now? So the, um, as you said, we have a real short amount of time left, but um, essentially what we've been able to do is have some influence over how the regulatory system is set up for medicinal cannabis. Um, we're going to be doing the same as what everyone else is doing, um, creating pharmaceutical products that are the same over and over like again and again and again now consistent consistent so that so that that has a, a cost associated to it because we have to build a pharmaceutical because that's the only way to do it um so it's going to make it more accessible but probably but only to a certain amount of people who can afford it now that's just the reality of where the industry's at at the moment um but what we are able to, what we have been able to do has been really influential on or have some influence on how the regulations have been set up so immediately we were able to do that. We're within the companies that are in the, the medicinal cannabis space where we're one of the few that are down the end of the spectrum where it's actually, a, it's not just about money. You got you have to be profitable in this industry because there's a lot of costs associated. Yeah, like um, investment that's needed. But most of the, are down the end of just make profits where we're down the other end of make profits and have social and have uh, medical applications. I mean, people say that, um, say that they are, but the reality is, is that a lot of it's just about money, otherwise they wouldn't have got into it. Um, yes, yeah, so I, I guess that's our biggest um, thing. Like, there's some, 
there's some international networks that we're working at that will be game changing for the global industry um, that we look that we're looking at that will I can't go into too much detail but mm. will change the will be different from the global focus on mass production um, because the quality that's being produced by the big licensed producers around the world is terrible yep. and they can't get consistency so because of the prohibition there's been very there's been a big lack of research into consistent um, production and how that affects the, the 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 human body so it's essentially working with people who know the endocannabinoid system and what effects that cannabis has and doing the research that can then be put to the production side because mm -hmm. production's always been about commodity for the last handful of years and how that can be married together so that we can have really good specific pinpoint um, opportunities for well-being. Now, that, that's not saying that you'll take out uh, different cannabinoids or different um, terpenoids or whatever it is because whole plant isn't, is, you know, that's, that's where a lot of the value is. But having that consistency so people can access it and have an increased state of well-being. All right, so basically the good quality, the top quality of product that you're aiming to produce is what you say would be, other than all of the influence that you've had like, and that you will have in shaping the industry and the way it's done here in Aotearoa and, and around the world through your networking, so it's, it's most mainly at this moment, at this stage, is the quality of the product that you'll be able to offer. And that's how you will directly affect the lives of patients. Um, but, and this is a, a question, this is more of a follow-up question. Um, because you mentioned before that there were these um, very dedicated growers that had this um, kind of client base that were always coming out and that they had this consistency and, and, and what the plants looked like in the end and the effect that, it, that how it looked like in the end and, mm. and how it was maybe not always, but you know, almost always the same uh, consistent effect. Um, and I know by using cannabis as a, as a whole plant medicine for the last couple of years and doing my own extractions through coconut oil and doing my own um, topical application through with coconut oil and cooking with it and all of that, that you can get the desired effects if you get either the flower or a very simple extraction that would be very cost effective for the patients. Um, is that something that you could look into doing as well? Like as a, that you can get the pharmaceutical grade because some people are actually only looking for that yeah. and you can get the plant-based. And this is something I've heard a lot being talked about in the, in the Facebook group mm. uh, for Hikarangi Cannabis Company. A lot yeah. of people saying, we don't want pharmaceutical, we yeah. want plant-based. Yeah. Unfortunately in New Zealand, the legislation, until it becomes uh, adult use recreational, that's not an option. Right. Ideally, the idea would be that <clears throat> you'd have a regulated market for whatever you wanted to do so that you can do it at home. But then you don't want anybody doing it at home because then you get dangerous products as well, which is already exists now. There's green fairies who just do make rubbish stuff that's really dangerous. Mm. So you want a form of regulation that allows it to be safe. Um, but within the regulation or the legislation mm. that exists, and it's going to exist for the next handful of years, there's just not the option to do 
um, you know, to be able to do nutraceuticals, which is what we're talking about. Mm. Nutraceuticals have a lower cost, um, more accessible, but we don't have a legislative framework. So, unfortunately, that's that's um, the environment that that we exist in. So, I mean, we know of green fairies up the coast that make amazing products that have hugely beneficial effects for so many people, but there's no legal mechanism for them to be able to uh, go through at the moment. Why? Because we, we only have, because of the, the legislative and regulative frameworks that sit around medicinal right. cannabis. But what is the just, what's the, the excuse behind, like I'm not saying you are, are having to make excuses, it's what's the excuse behind not creating a framework that permits and enables that? Pretty much because politicians are conservative, because there's a there's a there's a societal shift in mindset that needs to happen, because if the government brings it in and the majority of voters who are generally white and older aren't on board, they'll lose their political seats. That's a good thing. <laughs> if, but, but, but the, the, the if they're more concerned about their seats than about the actual effect that it could have on the patients that are sitting at home like this you know clenching their butts being like how is it going to come out how am i going to be able to get this product that's not going to cost me 20 grand a year there's, there's there's another part too is that it's easier to control regulation when the when it's um when that regulation is tighter and then loosened mm. but if you start loose it's very hard to to strangle it back in so it's a lot more from a bureaucratical point of view it's a lot safer to do that and even for medicinal out, uh, outcomes for for whanau who mm. need it the most it's safer to do it that way otherwise you're going to have a whole lot of cowboys that come in and people will get will have negative effects so snake oil sellers basically yeah. Yeah. and uh, people will capitalize on that because people want to make money that's already going on that's yeah. already happening and and there's no there's no way of stopping it and making it less harmful because because I, we're not acknowledging it yeah i agree i absolutely agree it's oh. just you get politics involved and and that, that's happened around the world like it's to my knowledge i don't know anyone that's just gone straight to rec which is essentially that nutraceutical space it's all it's all gone through yeah oh, all right so i have a final question and this is something um, that concerns me deeply for what patients will be facing in the future. When recreational comes around, how are we going to avoid what has happened in Canada and uh, I think Washington, Oregon, California and many other jurisdictions where recreational comes along and everybody just jump on that train and there is medicinal cannabis shortages. Is that is there something that we can try to do about it to avoid that kind of scenario? Uh, not, probably not. That's a really hard one because there's more profit in rec than there is in medicinal if you're just growing. For volume. For volume. Because you, because there's, it's, there's a lot more cost doing pharmaceutical than there is doing recreational because you've got so many more things to go through. So, yeah, I don't know the answer to that. I don't, I don't know that. Um, you could come up with something that would it'd have to be well thought out from a regulatory point of view to give okay. incentives for people to keep doing medicinal and not go into recreation 
potentially would, would enable that so that you have that conti <coughs> continued unless the government steps in and grows and does it themselves but no government's ever approved yeah, I wouldn't to do trust them to do it well um, I've really got a balance cool. to get to my finance alright so thank you very much for just joining us and listening to this awesome conversation we wish we could keep it going longer I, I'm sure I'm, I'm not speaking just for myself mm. uh, but we all have Fana to go back to and that's a good thing Thank you for joining me, Panapa. Thank you for taking your time to just enlighten us with your with your vision and your your experience. That's just there's not enough of that available for the public in New Zealand right now. And well, this is what we're all about here. So we'll see you next time. Yeah, Now I have had some time to reflect after this conversation with Panapa and and take a say a deeper look into into it and i've come up with some highlights i would like to share and well these are them every time i hear their story it gives me strength revitalizes me to know all the effort and tenacity that has gone behind getting where they are today the fact that community remains at the heart and core of their kaupapa and that they want to connect their community with others like them around the globe makes me root for them from the heart. My own community back home was reliant on a mining operation that added no value to the minerals being extracted and took all the profits overseas. Now that the market has changed and there is no demand for these minerals, my town has become a shadow of what it once was. This has brought and worsened other social issues like economic disparity, social division, and generalized violence and insecurity, aggravated by the presence of drug traffic and the gangs that control it. An initiative like Rural Bioscience is the kind of entrepreneurial project I'd love to eventually bring with me when I go back home one day. For now, I am happy that I can have an inside look at the kind of people that do the mahi it takes to make a dream like this come true. Now there are setbacks to be expected when one embarks in such a journey, like the fact that regulation will inevitably get in the way of a bigger impact on patients' lives. It also comes with a, an intention or almost a promise to drive the change of those same regulations that would restrict wider access to much needed medicine. Now for me, as someone that has not gone through the medical cannabis scheme to have access to that medicine that I so dearly need, and I know that the difference between recreational and medicinal cannabis is the way that it's packaged and presented because it's a plant that can be used in both ways and in many other ways, just looking at the case of hemp. So for me, looking at these regulations and seeing how it is restricting people from growing it at their houses, at their backyards, uh, with the fauna uh, to help them, and having safe access to these same plants with a little bit of guidance and education it, it just makes me really frustrated and sad that we don't have that kind of regulation coming up. I 
I'm not the only person that feels like like this. Um, some of the comments in Rua Biosciences Facebook group is are usually, why are we doing this for profit? Why are we putting money between the patients and the plant? Because we could just be growing it in our backyards and, and having access to as much of it as we need. And as many different varieties and di different presentations as we as we might need um and to to the people asking these questions um and and well what i'm trying to do is voice those question questions as well i say and it's not with a light heart that i say it we have to be patient for now there is change underway and there are drivers to that change one of those drivers is raw bioscience. The rest of it is the community behind this company and the community that has been pushing for legalization and, and legislation change around cannabis. Those that have been standing up since prohibition started, those that have been telling the truth since the lies started to be spreaded, those that have resisted and have kept growing cannabis with i wouldn't say no regard but you know taking the risk of going to jail of jeopardizing their family's stability uh their own stability their emotional mental and physical wellness those people have been driving change for a long time and it's the same ones that are complaining that these regulations are not enough. These regulations are changing nothing. These regulations are just getting in the way of patient access, safe patient access to medicine. I say there's small victories and there are bigger victories. And the fact that a country like Aotearoa, New Zealand is now considering the legalization and safe use of medical cannabis is a big victory it's not the one that we envisioned it's not the one that we actually need but it's the one we have and that's something that we can work with we don't yet know the final shape of regulations coming out until december we still have a little bit over a month to go and in that amount of time a lot of things can change and I hope they do. And if they don't, well, we know how to change them. We know that all that we've done so far has had an effect. And now we know what's effective and what's not effective. And we can just keep on going, press, pressing the government to do their job and, and have medicine available for the public and have it in a safe way that reduces harm but in a way that doesn't just benefit corporations that are going to be just mining money out of cannabis, but that actually and effectively brings patients closer to that medicine that they so sorely need. Thankfully, we have initiatives like Rua Bioscience that are not only trying to benefit the patients, but at least that profit that is going to be made from 
researching and commercializing the medicines that could get to pharmaceutical grade and, and be more or less effective that the nutraceuticals Panapa was mentioning. These people that are going to benefit from the profits are a small community that needs hope and has taken the decision to stand up and not wait for anyone to come around and give them a hand, but to take each other's hand, join them each other on driving change and hoping together for a better future. Um, this makes me happy. If regulations and the shape that they're taking now don't make me happy, this at least I can you know, take home and be happy with. And I know a lot of the people that support this initiative feel the same way. So I say hold on to that hope and that strength because that is the message and that is the real change that Ruatoria and Rua Bioscience are bringing to us. Have a good day, have a good night, have a good morning and go back to the final, let them know that there's hope and there's reasons to be happy too.